Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. It's another great Tuesday. And our guest today is Joseph Embriano. Did I say that right, Joseph? You did. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Where are you located today? Right now I'm in Denver. I just moved to Denver uh, and I'm making it a home here after several years of working and living abroad. Yo, Denver CO, Colorado. Um, I'm in the Appalachian Range in Virginia. So we have the old smoothed off green mountains. So you have the young mountains there. And uh, I used to live out in Colorado Springs, so I know all about Colorado, at least I know a little bit about it. Anyway, Joseph, we got some important stuff to talk about today. So tell our listeners, some are watching live, but many of them watch the feed or listen to the podcast afterward. Tell them a little bit about who you are and how you've come to do what you're doing now and why. So who is Joseph, your background, and what are you doing and why? So I help organizations through crisis. I've been doing it for 16 years, since 2004. How I started that was a little bit, uh, it well, wasn't planned. I fell into the opportunity, realized that it was a strength that I had, realized that it was something that organizations needed, and I ran with that. And so I've gone from, I worked at the organizational level, I worked in the government level, I served in the Department of Homeland Security doing critical infrastructure, and I've also served doing disaster responses uh, around the country, as well as working with nonprofits, organizations around the world. The beauty, I think, of crisis is recognizing it's an inflection point where we can figure out what is wrong, how we are unaligned with our purpose, what we need to do better. And the, the beauty is that the time is of the essence. And so we make decisions and we commit to things sometimes faster in crisis than in times of in static times, times of peace. And so I'm trying to take that here to Denver and create impact at scale in organizations, in businesses that have social impact and at the government level so that we have this three-pronged force trying to create better impact in our community and the world. Your location is a little bit challenging with sound, so I encourage you to you know, sit as close to your mic as you can. There's a little okay. bit of a, um, internet fluctuation. I don't know what to call it. So there's a little fuzziness around the sound transmission, but I don't think any of that's your fault. But let's go back to um, defining what is crisis? Give me a particular or sample situation that would define um, crisis. Because I'm out of all the nonprofits I've worked with in 32 years, many of them think they're in crisis because they don't know how to cover payroll next week. So, the, and you're right, there's, there's people that confuse, can you hear me better now if I talk like this? Yes, sir. Okay, I, I just raised the volume of my own voice, let's do this. There are people who confuse crisis with fires, with these small term fires, and those are, I guess, crises, but the crises that I concern myself with are the mid to long term crises. How is an organization moving towards its purpose? And so crisis to me is a, a lack of orientation large enough 
that the efforts of the organization is not helping solve it, achieve its purpose. It's not helping do the things that, that, the, that, that the donors have entrusted you with the money to do. And it's not helping solving the problem on the ground. So the opposite of crisis is the strategic alignment between your purpose, what your donors are funding you for, and, what your, and what's the, the problem, your community that you're trying to improve. We, um, we record our podcast live on Facebook. And we're broadcasting to an audience on Facebook right now. You're listening to the Nonprofit Exchange, where for almost six years, we've interviewed people like Joseph every day. And um, you're the first one in six years that have uh, really been upfront about this crisis thing, Joseph. We've had a lot of really good experts. And I think there's, um, there's crisis that we know about and there's crisis that we're not aware of, and there's crisis that we are in denial about. Um, would you would you want to comment on any of those, or am I wrong? You're, you're exactly right. Uh, and oftentimes, as we move forward in an organization, the leadership uh, focuses on what they know, or maybe even worse, what they think they know. And they haven't prepared the organization for what they don't know, and for all those uncertainties that happen with every decision the organization makes. And that's why it's important to build an organization with structures that can make the organization dynamic to solving what we know, what we don't know, what we don't, what's about to happen, and all the outcomes of the decisions that we make. I totally agree with that. So everyone working on, a, on social impact, whether it's what we call a nonprofit or a for-profit, sometimes I like to, re we learn from one of our, our interviewees that the opposite of the alternative for for-profit is for purpose. So I really like that. So your nonprofit or for-profit or for purpose or for-profit has their origin story that drives them every day to turn that vision into a reality. So talk a little bit about your vision. What does this organization look like? You're, we're all growing our organizations and they're going to the, that next place of fulfillment. But how do you see your vision and mission and how do you see that taking place? With Give us the name. I don't even know how to say the name of your organization and what was the origin of that. So yeah, that's a lot of questions. See if you can address those. It is. Uh, but I'll go one after one. Let me know if, I, if, I, uh, if you have another one. I love questions, so don't worry about it. Omnikai means it has two meanings. One um, is the professional meaning and one is the personal meaning. And I'm happy that both of them seem to coincide in one name. The professional mean, name, I took it from two different languages, omni meaning always in Latin, and kai, part of kaizen, which is the art of continually improving. And that is, that is vital in every organization to learn from past challenges and incorporate that into future opportunities and those challenges that come along with getting them. Personally, omni still means ever, but kai is the name, is the beginning of the name of kailash, which is a mountain that is one of the holiest mountains in three big religions, in Hinduism and Buddhism and in Jainism. It's in Western Tibet. And I took a nine month pilgrimage to that mountain and that pilgrimage transformed my life. And so it's also reminding me to remember my roots, remember what's important to me and using that as the baseline for everything that I do. Yo, so ultimately your vision for Omnikai, did I say it right? Yeah. What, what is, give us what, what it's about and how you manifest that. 
It's about impact at scale. For the last several years, I have been helping individuals actualize themselves, figure out their purpose. Businesses and small businesses and small organizations do the same. And what I'm trying to do now is take that at the macro level, think and help organizations prepare decades ahead so that the impact we have isn't just short term, but midterm and long term. So that, um, that, that we're not only resolving uh, crises that are happening now that need to be resolved now, we're also preventing uh, crises that happen later. And so my company is very purposely, very purpose driven. And once the purpose is defined, the business structures fall down. They cascade very nicely because we have that North Star. And because we have that North Star, we know what we want and what we don't want in an organization. And so that's, that's the goal, to create purpose-driven organizations that have business structures in a way that they can create impact over time, uh, in a way that impacts everyone across generations. I'm really thinking not only in tomorrow, but in generations. So tell, tell listeners, now <clears throat> we have people that are in purposeful organizations that have a good heart and a, a vision for impacting people's lives. Um, many times people are goodwill, but short on some of the skills and they have a team around them and they're short on some of the skills in motivating and implementing change with that team or transformation to be able to accomplish what they want. So people start out, what are some of the business systems they need um, and maybe haven't thought about or haven't considered that they should even have from the start? First, uh, not all visions are purposes. Visions can sometimes be wide and an umbrella. And if we're trying to build something, it needs to be um, something that is achievable over time. So first, turn your vision uh, into a purpose that everyone can rally underneath. Second, make uh, in your head, because I'm assuming you're talking about just at the beginning of building a, a, an organization, or are we talking once it's, it's built? You can choose either one. What I, what I was thinking is you're, you're intervening after a group has already started. So I wanted to go back and think about if somebody hadn't started yet, what are some of the things they should think about? And then, then maybe they didn't think about it, which they should think about it now. So it might be a, a reboot or a restart. So either way, it's starting a new, new chapter or starting out from scratch. So we really have to think about what's missing. So, okay. so it could be either. So, yeah, so if we had to start it all from the beginning, the three pillars are purpose, something that's achievable, which is different from mission, organizational structures that can get you there, and then what is the team look like? You know, um, uh, many organizations start out where the owner or the starter, the founder, is part of the business. But we need that person to be the leader who can see ahead. So how do you build a team around um, that can turn that vision into reality, that purpose into reality from the start? And that requires looking mid to long term. And it also requires a sense of humility and understanding and recognizing that there are things you can do on your own. And it will take time and effort and patience on the visionary's uh, uh, part 
to go through those what might seem to be tedious steps to setting up your organization for success? Well, if you don't do those, quote, tedious steps, you're really sealing your fate into failure. And, and um, we are social entrepreneur, entrepreneurs at heart. We have the entrepreneurial spirit, which is sort of the shiny object syndrome. We want to go where we think we ought to go rather than having, like you're talking about, a, a system to follow. And so let's go back to the soundbite you gave us. Purpose is different from mission. So if you think about the writing of Napoleon Hill and all of the 500 leaders that he interviewed um, had what he called definiteness of purpose. And so they were very clear about their, their, their long, long view. And, and also I've heard quoted, I'm not sure where, but we like to tell people that leaders are those who live in the future. Uh, so we, we see where, like the hockey players, go where the puck's going to be, not where it is. And so speak a little bit more about the differentiation you see between purpose and mission. So mission is where everything, so in terms of achieving a goal, in, in terms of turning a vision into reality, uh, oftentimes when you ask someone their vision, they paint a picture as to what they want the world to look like, where they want the puck to be, in your example. But a purpose is more of a hierarchy uh, motivational speech on how we're gonna get there, right? And those two intersect at what, what I call a North Star. And so to get to this vision, that is the new world, we need to strive for this purpose. And to strive toward this purpose, we need people who are focusing daily on building what it takes to turn that purpose into that vision. So you need three. And oftentimes people are, you know, yesterday I was working with a client and uh, she gave us her vision and it was beautiful. It was expansive and it was transformative. But when you turn it into you know, how are you going to do it, it's very difficult for visionaries to become operators and to become people who can turn it to reality. So it's very important. If you are a visionary, that is your strength. But understand that turning it into reality requires different sets of skills. So surrounding yourself with operators, with people who love to get in the trenches and figure it out themselves, build, test daily, that makes a team. And it's a team that turns that vision into reality, into an organization that has impact. It takes time to turn that ship around. And many, um, many good, good intended people um, don't really, um, don't really um, know how the operational side. Visionary people are not necessarily tactical. Um, Russell, are you? Um, Russell's been having some internet problems, and I suggested he use the hammer, but maybe that's the problem. He used the hammer. So <laughs> the, the questions are in the chat screen, Russell. So on the, on the computer. So Joseph, um, and, and you are both in Denver today. So, um, Joseph is, is speaking our language. And, um, so Russell is finally gotten some air, air time. He's gotten through the internet of mystery in here. So Russell, you're the one that brought uh, Joseph to the, the show today. Thank you for that. Ah, greetings, and it's nice to see you both. Uh, it's been an interesting morning with my signals coming in, popping in, popping out, and so they had some intermittent outages, I guess. 
Welcome, Joseph. Uh, I thought he was a great fit and, and loved the stuff that you're doing. So that's why I invited him here. I appreciate you having me here, Russell. This is a great conversation. One we need to have more. Yeah, our, our tentacles reach out even to Denver, Colorado. So, uh, <clears throat> Russell, we've, we've uh, talked a little bit about the work of um, Omnikai, and I've learned to say that, and I've learned to say Embriano. <laughs> you know, I'm, uh, I'm Southern. We have our own language and our own way of saying things. So I might say it wrong to you, but it's right to us. <laughs> it's coming together. It's vocab is coming together, yeah. Yeah, we got our own pronunciation, our own grammar rules. So that's, that's how we fly. So, uh, Joseph, um, what's the most important thing that you bring as uh, an outside resource? Um, to we're focusing on nonprofit sector, so any kind of nonprofit sector, whether they're working in a religious organization, whether they're working in a uh, membership organization, whether they're working in a community service organization, any of those variances. What's the most important thing you bring to the table to help them cut through these barriers we're talking about? So, what I'm really strong at is recognizing um, what is missing in the current picture and then tying it to the strategic picture that the organization has and then going down to the tactical level that's important at and then implementing it there. Uh, I have like this conceptual uh, way of, of looking at things and so everything becomes, even an idea becomes a 3D model. And I can look at it and see, okay, this is what you want, and, but this is missing. How do we get here? How do I communicate that? And how does everyone understand how it fits into the bigger picture? The, the added um, benefit, in, particularly in organizations that are helping out um, communities that, that need to improve sooner rather than later, is dealing with all of that in uncertainty. Uh, something that uh, over 16 years of, of doing this, um, has been really helpful for the organizations that uh, that require this transformation. Sixteen years. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Wow, that's a lot. I've, I've got double on you, but I'm triple your age. <laughs> so we hear. Um, I won't say the thing, Russell. So we are okay. Good. <laughs> we are. Um, Russell and I've heard. And I'm going back to your, your comment about the tedious work of doing the planning piece, articulating what that, that purpose and, and mission is. We have people tell us, oh, I don't have time to do a strategy. I've got too much work to do. I don't need to think about these business principles. You know, that works for business, but this is a nonprofit. Mm. How do you respond to that? So I don't come from the business world. I've lived in the business world, I've lived in the government world, and I've lived in organizational world. This isn't about business versus nonprofit. This is about people. And this is about turning a team into something that creates the purpose that you're looking for, that creates that vision that you want the world to be in the future. So it's substituting the right question, which is how do I make this work with all the tools available to me? For the wrong question, which is easier to respond, do I think business should be a part of nonprofits? No. And that is a short-term way of thinking that has long-term consequences. So how do you unravel that, right? 
if I had a problem that requires organizational structure, that, that requires changes that may be, you know, business in one sense, that may be um, Buddhist in another, that may be, you know, sports related in another, but these three tools will help me turn this into a reality, then to me, it's a non, to me, it makes total sense. Right, so it's 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 breaking away from this 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 weird dichotomy that we have, this weird tension between the business world and the nonprofit world, and saying, hey, there are things that all of us have learned as we all go out and build things. What can I use to make my purpose happen? What can I use to have impact in my community? What can I use to turn my donors' money into something into real change? That is a common set of questions, whether when we talk about organizations and we address nonprofits, we're simply talking about a tax structure. But the real question is, how can I deliver more value doing what I'm doing in a better way? How can I deliver it more efficiently, more cost effectively? How can I provide better service? So it's really a question of setting up systems. when you look at it that way, uh, why did, why is it that that nonprofit leaders have uh, so much difficulty crossing into what's just generally systems thinking? What what's the point of resistance there? It's it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting question that has different answers depending on who you speak to. Sometimes I think. Um, it is the systemic thinking that business has no place in nonprofit, nonprofit has no base. And that is, a, that is a, a, an argument that people are having that, that negatively impacts the, organizational, the organization's success. Right? I think it comes down to often how we come to a problem and what solution we have. And is it with the heart? Is it from a visionary part? Or is it from the operational side? in terms of systems and structures, because this isn't something, this isn't a tension that only exists between the worlds. It exists within business and it exists within government and in organizations where a visionary says, this is what I want. The operation person says, well, this is how we get here. And they look at each other going, wait, what? Because they're speaking different languages. So I think first it's, 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 it's being, it's being um, distracted by uh, a tension that really doesn't exist. Second, it's this, this lack of, of a common language between visionaries and turning it into reality. And then third, there are these competing goals between what the donors want, what the, what the organization wants to achieve, and what the community needs. And so when you put all that in, it becomes a very difficult, tangled mess to solve unless you find that communication can uh, align the 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 needs of what the donors, the organization, and the community needs, and then just ask, what is it that will get me there, and do it? Well, it's all that relationship building and really understanding your audience, and that's the key with nonprofits. You've got so many customers, as it were, and uh, they have different needs, they're uh, different values, but at some point, there's an alignment in that vision, and, and, and moving toward that seems to be the trick that a lot of people have. So uh, what are some of the things that, that leaders can consider that will help reduce some of that resistance 
will back off some of that fear trying to balance all those priorities. Clarify what it is you want to achieve. Um, that doesn't mean create the vision. Clarify what it is you want to achieve. Break it down into periods where you can achieve it. So maybe a six-month goal or a 12-month goal or a, or a, a two-month, a two-year goal. Uh, create metrics that can show growth. That'll be helpful not only to communicate to the community, but also to the donors. What you're trying to do is measure how effective your organization is working at creating the change that, it, that it's there for. And then from there, get rid of all those other things that don't align to these goals, right? Those shiny objects that we may have picked up, those pet projects that are taking our time and our energy, those need to go. Third, create the proper systems and processes so that everyone from the leader of the organization all the way down to the volunteer who may be right there in the, in the thick of it all, right there on the streets, they understand their place within the purpose and the, the goals and, and also they understand how everything they do fits into this larger thing. And, and by creating things like communication structures um, everything can be passed off in a way that there's no miscommunication. And creating technological systems can ensure that things can happen when you're asleep, but movement is still happening. Having, you know, uh, uh, automating things like, like ordering and uh, supply chain management and, and that type of stuff, delegating out your weaknesses to people who are stronger in that. Right? That helps create a structure that can thrive without the leader constantly looking in and seeing if everything is okay. If everyone knows their place and there's trust and there's communication and then there's the singular purpose and the singular goal, then it's a lot easier for an organization to be effective. And then finally, it's getting the right team together. It's about turning the organizational mission or the donor's mission into a unified goal, a team goal, so that everyone has buy-in, everyone is willing to get up every day and fight for it, and every challenge is looked at as a step forward towards that goal, and not as a something that is hitting them, um, a, a fire, right, that has to be tended to. So those are a few steps right off the bat. Well, yeah, it saves people a little bit more motivated to do things to to eliminate pain, gain something. That's what Tony yeah. Robbins says. It's, it's remarkable. So what's important from the sound of it is having uh, as many of the key players involved in the process of, of looking at that vision and the leaders set the table for that. But so what are some of the best ways to make sure that you're connecting the dots in that sense, getting uh, the right people on the bus, so to well, speak. Well, if they aren't, or if they already are there, and it's a question of miscommunication and misaligned priorities, then it's time to get everyone in a room and say, hey, um, this is what, from what I look at it, this is what um, it looks like the interests of the donors are. This is what it looks like the organization is trying to do. And this is what it looks like we're actually doing. Right? There is a deviation between all these three. How do we get together and create a unified one? 
it's often, this is often the best time to reach out and hire a mentor or a coach because that outside perspective can be helpful, particularly if there are these competing interests that are contradictory. Uh, second, it's, it's, it's rallying everyone under that same um, vision, under that same set of goals. What you want is buy-in from everyone. And so it's, it's, it's a difficult conversation, but it's one that is so necessary because, if, like you said, if you don't have your table set, you're not going to be effective. Uh, your impact is not going to be as great as you want it to be. Um, you're not going to be able to achieve your goals in that same sense. Well, the common goals are pretty critical. How you get there may differ a little bit. I think people have different talent sets. They have different skill sets. And uh, if everybody agrees on the overarching purpose of what you're trying to accomplish, you're there. Uh, if you don't have that agreement, you got problems. Now, if you've got some disagreements on how to get there, you can work around that. And people have better ways. And I think that the best leaders are able to leverage that talent for people to have it and say, okay, here's where we want to get to. Uh, but it's, it's deciding on what needs to be measured yeah. and the best way to, to measure that. Yeah. Uh, what, are, what are some of the things that you do to help people determine what things to measure first? And then secondly, create tools that are easy enough to use and understand so that they can be implemented in the, into the work of the people on the ground uh, delivering the services so that they can both function and still uh, collect the data they need. I find that once that the purpose is, is, is figured out and once the goals are agreed upon, it becomes a much easier way to figure out how to measure those goals because like you say, people are operating on different levels and also people's outlook needs to focus on different levels. There are people who need to focus on today's metrics, what happens today's, and then there are people who need to focus on 10, 15 years from now, right? So it's making sure that the goals that we set and things that are measured are consistent with the role that each person, each team plays. So it's it, oftentimes a leader says, this is our goal, this is where we're going, this is the time frame. but what does that mean? So it's breaking it down across the levels of an organization so that everyone knows what their goal is and how that goal fits into the bigger goal, into the bigger goal, into the bigger goal. Yeah. After that, it's a question of putting in those processes in place and communicating that. So everybody's got key performance indicators, whether, yeah. no, no matter what type of structure they're running. Talk about some of the key performance indicators that are necessary for any type of organization. Uh, and, and what are some of the most common mistakes that people make around those? Around measuring those or, or looking at them? So uh, there's usually the return on investment is, is, is the biggest one. But the problem is if the investment isn't defined, then you have a lot of problems because how can you gauge a return on something if you don't know what you're trying to achieve? And when you break that down, then that exists across organizations. You're getting money from funders. How do you turn that money into maximizing your impact using this, the systems and the talents that you have? That's what it is, right? And so by unpacking what the goal is 
and clearly defining it and establishing what those KPIs are, what it means, you can then take and look at the return on investment. And those break down into a lot more KPIs, but at the leadership level, and I think most of the people we're talking about, we're talking with here, most of your listeners are at that executive level, understanding the power of just that one thing, ROI, um, can cascade into making your business so much more effective. Oh, that return on investment, ROI, return on impact, return on influence, return on inspiration. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of returns that are folded into that and, and things that really ought to be measured. And sometimes it's important to talk to the people we're serving when we're building these services because that's how you find out what's really important to them. What is it that they need in, in the context of what you're delivering? Yeah. And are you delivering something that's actually needed? Are you doing it in a way that's not being done anywhere else? What's unique about it? What's different? Where does it fill in the gaps with what else is available? I, I completely agree. And one of the problems that I find too often is that, for, uh, that, that there's a priority of funding over the interest of the donor that funds you. And so an organization is looking for money, but they don't really understand what the donor is asking in return. And you find that what was clear before, as you start taking more donors' money, money without truly vetting and making sure that their interests align with the organizations, it can become much harder to gauge impact because you're fighting between these interests. And so one of the key pieces of advice that I give too many, like I said, too many leaders of organizations is always make sure that you understand the interest, what the donor wants. Uh, because if it doesn't align, it's not worth it in the mid to long term. It will, it will backfire and it'll create a lot of anxiety and organizational confusion um, that you don't need. Yeah, what would you say are, are probably the one or two most common disconnects that you've seen in terms of what donors want and what the organization's trying to do? I think donors don't get a sense, and I'm speaking generally here, but donors don't get a sense of what's happening on the ground. So the first disconnect is where the money is coming from, which is largely places of wealth or organizations that have the money. And where is it going to help, which is areas that are underprivileged and that are lacking the same infrastructure that those, that those have. And so the idea could be more either um, heart-driven, right? I just want to help, or politically driven, right? But, but that doesn't translate to the person that needs clean drinking water or who needs, you know, uh, malaria vaccines or who needs all these types of things, right? And so that's the first disconnect. And that's why as a leader, you need to be in the middle of that and make sure that you can draw a straight line between the interests of the donor all the way down to the interest of the person that you're helping. So that's the first one. The second disconnect is actually uh, from the leader upward to the donor, which is this isn't free money. This isn't free money. Not only their interests, but you have to, as a leader, turn that money into impact within the systems of your organization. And so not depending on donors as a constant set of, of funding, but understanding that it's hard to get and accountability is key. 
And so the donor says, there's like the donor will say, I give you money. And the leader says, thanks. The donor saying, I give you money because of this. And many leaders take the money and go, okay, let's just do it. But they have no sense of, of accountability, no metrics to measure that return and make it more cost effective. And so there's a two-way disconnect that can become very dangerous, um, not only because of that relationship, but for the people on the ground that need your help. Um, they don't get those services at lower cost, at higher impact, and in a way that helps them change faster. Well, that's very critical, you know. If that, so this is a relationship, and, and everything's built around relationships. So that involves constant communication, constant communication. So, uh, and that involves a lot more than uh, a phone call saying thank you, and then uh, six, 12 months later, hey, we're back. We could use a little bit more cash here. <laughs> it involves exactly. more than that. And so talk a little bit about the, the cycle of relations and some of those critical touch points that can help prevent these sort of breakdowns. The first, the, the first meeting is important, um, but we just talked about that. As you say, you have to keep that that relationship alive, because it's not only a transfer of money, but it's a transfer of mission. And it's their uh, commitment to give you money. And it's your responsibility to show them how what they're doing is, is having impact on the ground. And so having, in the, so first the business sense, right? Having the, the, the organizational sense, having those frequent meetings to say, hey, we use X amount of money to start this project, we think it's amazing. Here's a small video clip of someone, you know, on the first day of this project in, I don't know, Haiti, distributing clean water, right? This is what you're doing. Connect the money to the mission in a, in a visual way so that the donor is bought in too, right? We're leading, many people in the organizational space are leading and giving and waking up every day with their hearts. So speak to their hearts using organizational structures and methods and videos saying this is this person was helped because of you second like you say it's all about relationships just on the people level go out have coffee have weekly phone calls with your donors and help it because how do i explain this the interest at the beginning so if you were the donor and i was the leader and you just gave me money and, and there was this this interest and i accepted it that changes over time because the situation on the ground changes over time. And so what you want is to combine forces and try to find a better way, a better solution to, to solving the problem on the ground, to having that impact. So recruiting that donor as a potential solution, as a person who can come up with even better ideas, is just a, it's a no-brainer because it's their money, they're invested, and if you keep them invested and you keep them figuring out what's going on, then they are bought in, not only, for, not only financially, but in terms of, of constructively solving the problem. Joseph, you, um, you've probably seen nonprofits that have a great vision that don't attract funding. What are some of the reasons that, that groups don't, don't attract funding that they need? Uh, a lot of times it, it comes down to what's in the grant. Um, there's a few things. Uh, one is they, they say what they want the vision to be, but they don't say how they're going to get there. At a tactical way that the donor can, can follow them. Two, 
and, and this is something that uh, that I think is is just crucial for every single every single person looking for money. Uh, introduce your team. Show the donor who it is that is going out every day, turning that into reality. Three. Show that you understand the challenges. Say, these are the counter forces that can prevent us if we don't take these paths. Four, be vulnerable. And what I mean by that is say where your, your organization is strong at and say where you're trying to bolster um, uh, your organization. And then five, tie everything to the donor and the community. I've seen many proposals that, are, that say, hey, uh, we, uh, we want to do this and we need money. And it has to be, this is the impact we want to have. But with your money, this is the impact we're going to have in six months, 12 months. You know, always bring it back down to the impact. Instead of going, we can't do this without you. It's not a telethon. You're trying to create a relationship uh, for a problem that will take years to solve. So this makes the non-ask event a uh, very important tool because you're putting donors and the people getting the services together in the room to have a conversation, you know. Uh, and in that vein, uh, the way that you manage those relationships, it, it really works well because you've got them recommending each, you've got the people taking the services and the donors recommending you to each other. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there's just no more powerful testimony than that. But that's, that's part of that nurturing process. And, and it's a journey with the donor. You, first, you have to actually attract people, uh, bring them in and, uh, to your cause, and then sort of nurture them. Uh, and from one time, uh, you know, they, you, that first donation is critical. You establish that relationship, thank them, show them that impact. But over time, you want to nurture them and grow them then establish a consistent pattern. Uh, and then as time progresses, you start looking at, at larger donations. It takes time. The key is to retain them. And, and uh, from some of the stats I've seen, I think that, that's been about 55%. Uh, and I haven't looked at any recent ones, but I mean, 55%, that's nearly uh, half of them leaving. So, uh, what what are some things that uh, organizations can do to make sure they're doing a better job of retaining donors? Do a better job of maximizing the the money that they give you to to creating that impact. If you can demonstrate month over month real measurable growth in towards your your goals, then you're telling the donor that not only do you agree with, with, that you guys agree in mission, that you, you, this organization is the one best capable of carrying it out. And it, that's something that I see lacking in a lot of organizations. And that's why I say the money isn't free and it's not always a faucet that keeps coming on, right? It's, it, it has to, you have to say, you have to make the case and if you, can, if you can turn your vision, and, and this is at the beginning when you're starting an organization, your vision into the vision of you and all the donors, and then into the vision of you, the donors, and the team, and then show demonstrable results, hold on, be proud of that accountability, then there's no, then, then how could the donors look somewhere else 
to carry out their mission, right? So it's just really focusing on those relationships. So we talk. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no. So what we're talking about essentially is what I call social profit. So it's money, but it's people too. So uh, this is where storytelling and good, good financial record keeping need to blend and, and be melded in a way so that you're telling a story that explains where the money is spent and at the same time where the impact is made. And so uh, that's, that's where storytelling comes in. And so a lot needs to come together uh, at that point and it's keeping that open dialogue and reaching out to people. Some want to hear from you more frequently than others. So it's really kind of figuring out what that rhythm is between the donors uh, and the organization, but, but paying close attention to uh, what people are getting out of it. You always have to ask your clients what you can do better too that are getting the services. Wise, wise words indeed. Um, let's talk about the C word. How can nonprofits improve collaboration with private sector and with local and federal governments? What, what's, what do you got to say about that? So I, I've seen it in all three areas, sitting at the government side, sitting at the business side, and sitting at the organizational side. And, and it's fascinating that, um, that something that should be obvious still is a point of contention and there's not enough collaboration between the three. I think it comes down to um, this, these camps that are formed within the three uh, that for whatever reason are preventing people from crossing over, not recognizing that there are three different uh, um, camps that can, that can contribute three different types of resources into solving a problem, right, with three different types of, of, of funding, right? But instead they look at it as more like a, uh, this is mine sort of thing. And I saw this working at critical infrastructure policy. Uh, I see that, I saw that um, uh, responding to Hurricane Harvey, I was in the disaster response for 83 days and had to work between all three. And so that, to try to, try to break that back, sort of roll that back, untangle that, it comes down to recognizing that we need all three. Recognizing that the languages that each speak is different. Understanding that demonstrating value is the best way to get a seat at that table. And then demonstrating value is also the best way of getting your voice heard at that table. And then finding areas of collaboration um, in a way that, that by, by, dem by, by what Russell was saying, by demonstrating storytelling, showing the, the, the problem on the ground, recognizing that the people that are trying to solve it aren't, that they don't have their ears to that ground, connecting that story in a way that everyone at the table recognizes that it would be, that, that, that you can't say no to collaboration. I find that that works really well in a crisis when there's, you know, like when the, when the hurricanes were happening, uh, all sorts of industries were sending resources down. And so there was that. But in times of peace, in times of stability, there isn't. But even in times of crisis, what's lacking is a central coordination. And I think, I think uh, each side doesn't want to give up uh, 
decision-making control to, to the other. So it's still this contentious 20th century way of looking at each of the three, not recognizing that we need each other to solve these problems. And to do that, it means that all, all three have to make certain changes because the crises that we are trying to solve are greater than the turfs we're trying to protect. Well, we're moving into a new age, and I think that some of this frustration that you've talked about is showing up in the form of, of new types of entities, new types of organizations, uh, uh, profit-making entities with, with social missions and other, other types of organizations. They're taking on all sorts of different forms. Uh, do you think we've reached a time where we really have to maybe even tear it down, come up with a new type of structure uh, that integrates all of the best uh, of the three sectors here, government, private, and uh, public sector? Uh, is, is this the time to look at maybe a new structure? Uh, and uh, are we going to see more of these types of businesses and new structures going forward? I think yesterday was the time to, to find new structures. I think that because leadership now grew up in the time of that contention and that frustration, it's hard to get them to start making the changes to the structure. Uh, but at the same time, like you said, there's a lot of younger people in their 20s and 30s that didn't grow up with this structure, didn't, doesn't, they don't carry the frustration. And so they're starting these new for-profit enterprises and other structures that are having, that are effective as well. And in some ways are even more effective. The challenge, the opportunity, I'll say, is getting um, leaders to recognize the opportunities that come when everyone collaborates by, and, and by, by removing that frustration, recognizing that, as you say, we are in a new age. And many of those structures were built for a different age, for a Cold War type age, for a post-World War II age. And now we're in a different age. And so it's time to make sure that our structures align with the current reality and aren't um, built for yesterday's problems. Well, and I think um, and we definitely the social benefit sector can take the lead in redefining how, how we relate to each other, how we work with each other, and how we change systems. Because certainly, we're seeing a lot of signs in today's world of those systems being broken, or they have evolved to where the creators of the Constitution, the framers of the Constitution, hadn't really thought about. So I think the work that we do in the nonprofit sector is more important than it's ever been in history. So we actually have to have to bone up on our skills and and beef up our, our ability to to do the work that we've said we're going to do. So there, we need to replicate Joseph so he can work all around the country. Uh, so I want to do a sponsor message here, and then I'll throw it back to you to leave a short closing thought or a challenge or a tip with people as, as your closing thought. And then Russell closes out this interview and, uh, we appreciate your being here and sharing your wisdom, of, uh, which is far beyond your calendar years, I, can, I will say. Our sponsor today is a, a virtual card called EZ Card, and it says EZ, letters E and Z, because it's easy. And you can get the Center Vision EZ Card 
by picking up your smartphone and you open a text program and you text 64600. And then we're going to abbreviate leader in the message LDR. Uh, LDR, you're going to text that to 64600. And then you'll get a text back and you'll touch on that link and you'll have the Center Vision Easy Card on your phone. Now we're connected. You can see the programs that we have. You can, you can even see the video we're on now. You can see that embedded in the Nonprofit Exchange tab on the Easy Card for Center Vision Leadership Foundation. And in that Easy Card, it says get your own Easy Card. So for your, your organization, it's a funding vehicle. It's how you can engage people to come to meetings, attend events. It's a way for you to press, push out messages with the text function. Um, it's got a lot of functionality that you can, it, it supplements a website. It doesn't replace your website, but it's, it's your organization in their hand. And so you're always connected. Easycard.com is the company, but text, LDR to 64600 and we will be connected on Easy Card for Center Vision and we encourage you to get your own. Joseph, what thought would you like to leave with people? We are in a time that has a great opportunity. Nowhere that I remember has the entire world started focusing on impact and looking at things like purpose. We are at a moment that maybe we had wanted to be 20 or 30 or 40 years before now. This is an opportunity. So let's learn. Let's clarify our purpose. Let's build. Let's learn from the tools of other uh, organizational structures. Let's find a way to turn our visions into goals and our goals into realities by building those structures, by collaborating with government and private sector, by removing any ego and having the humility to ask when you need help and I believe that these next 20 years are a period of opportunity unlike any other and I'm happy to be a part of it and I'm happy to know that there are people like you who are also working hard to changing the world in a way that is positive. Thank you for, for your brilliance, and, and we really appreciate you coming by and sharing those insights. And, and these are the type of fresh young minds that I'm comfortable leaving the world through when I'm not here. I'm really appreciative of that. Thank you all for joining us here on the Nonprofit Exchange. We're here every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, where we have brilliant young leaders like Joe and other people to talk about uh, being on purpose and making a difference in the world and just finding ways to do that a little bit better. Get your easy card. We are here every week at 2 p.m. Eastern. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher for the podcast. You can subscribe there. You'll never miss a beat and you'll be with us at all times. Uh, if you go to the CineVisionLeadership.org website, there's a big blue button in the corner that says join the day. Click on that button and sign up. We have all kind of cool tools, interviews like this, and other uh, tools you can use to help you make your day-to-day -day a little bit more successful. Thank you very much for all that you do out there. Keep making the difference that you make. And be sure to be here next week for the next edition of the Nonprofit Exchange. <laughs>
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.